The following message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. We've been going through the book of Ruth, and we are going to go through um, all of chapter 2 today. So if you guys want to go ahead and start turning to Ruth, um, it's in the Old Testament. If you go past Judges, it's a little past uh, the book of Judges. And before we go there, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be with us as we come to this passage. I pray that you will show us Christ in this passage. You'll show us in this passage what it means for us and how it calls us to worship you. I pray that you'll give us hope from this passage. I pray that you'll reveal our sins to us from this passage. I pray that you will make us more like you from this passage. Speak to us. Give me the words to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start reading from Ruth. Chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to try to read a section of it because uh, we could be here a long time if we read the whole chapter together. I'm going to go through it verse by verse so we will get through it all. So, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out in the field and glean from the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, uh, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she had happened to come upon a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan, the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young, young man who was in charge of the reapers, who is this woman, Whose woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this, leave this one. But keep close to the, my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go and get vessels and drink with the, uh, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I am a foreigner. We're going to go through the rest of this passage, but I want to give that as an introduction to this passage. Um, I remember back when I was in, shortly after high school, a big group of us got together to play backyard football. We always go to the high school. I don't think we were supposed to, but we always went to the high school anyway, turned the lights on and uh, played backyard football. Well, there was about 20 of us gathered together um, this one time and. uh we were all playing, and so uh, the quarterback threw the ball, and I inter- intercepted the ball. I decided to run back, and in my way, I had visions of, touch- of the touchdown, the end zone there. But in my way was a lineman, or a big brother of a lineman from Marshall University. And I thought, surely I could just sling him out of my way. He weighs a lot more than I do. And then I could 
make it all the way to the end zone. So I try to sling him out of my way, and to my surprise, he wrapped me up. I put my arm down to brace myself, and then the bone snapped out. And I had to be rushed to the hospital and had a plate put in, and it was a very, very painful experience. But with that, the surprise, the shock, it was something that I wasn't expecting. It was something um, I had my mind set on one thing, and yet God had plans for another. And as we come to this passage, we come to something very similar, that it's a surprise, it's a shock, it's a happenstance, that even when I don't see it coming, God is working. We start off with this. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the land of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The reason the writer starts off this way, he starts off this section, because in the previous chapter, Ruth and Naomi are without husband and without food, and they've come to Bethlehem in hopes to find food because they hear God is at work in this area. And they're coming here in hopes that God would provide for them. Yet they have these great problems, yet no solution, only hopes and trust in the Lord. And the writer begins knowing these problems in chapter 2. And he brings up this man named Boaz. It's as if they do not know what's going on. They are going out in the field, and there happens to be a relative of Naomi who owns this field. The reason this is important for us and the reason this is uh, applicable to us is that even in the midst of our problems, when we are struggling and suffering, we may not see God is at work, but all along, God is there. God is working and in control of every situation. God does not have a plan B. Everything is working according to His plan. Just as they left and went into Moab because they did not trust the Lord to stay in Bethlehem during a famine, now they're coming back because they have nothing. They're like the prodigal son coming back hoping that they may, by any chance, get food from this land. And yet God has been orchestrating this all. He has brought them to nothing so that they would put their hope and trust in Him. And they don't know what's coming. But God is in control. They come to this field and it happens to be in the relative, in her in Naomi's relative Boaz, who is going to answer all her problems. Now verse two. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean from among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come upon, there's that happened word again, come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. This was not something that she was like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to find this person who is going to give us food. No, she is going in hopes That someone will be gracious to her and someone will provide food for her. But what she doesn't know is God is working this out for her favor to answer all the problems she has in life. It makes me think, this is not ironic. Or this is, if you want to think of it theatrically, this is a a theater-like ironic. She has all these great problems and she happens to go into the field of this man who loves the Lord and who is gracious. It's like she's walking along in prayer and hopes that God is going to do something. And then she walks in and all of a sudden there's this man who is gracious. It's ironic. Not Alanis Morissette ironic. That's tragic. This is ironic that the Lord is doing something great. 
It makes me think of this. Um, I always quote Martin Luther, and I feel like I quote him every week almost. Um, it just shows he's a great one to study. He's very interesting. Martin Luther caused the Reformation. When the Roman Catholic Church was not teaching salvation by faith alone, they were um, making people pay for relics so that they could uh, get family members out of purgatory. Martin Luther comes along and he says, No, the, the, the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church is not my authority. Scripture alone is my authority. And salvation is by faith alone. He comes up with these phrases, or the, these phrases come out of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone that determines my faith. Um, sola Fide, by faith alone I am saved. And, and Sola De Gloria, by, or all to the glory of God alone. Well, Martin Luther, who caused this, who nailed 95 reasons to the Pope's door on what's wrong with the Roman Catholic Church and where they err, very bold thing to do because they could put him to death during this time. Someone once asked him, Luther, when did the Reformation take place? When did this great event where people return back to God's Word, they return back to salvation by faith alone, they turn back to bringing God glory alone, when did this great reformation take place? And his response was very interesting. His response was this. I started preaching the gospel and I went to sleep. The reformation took place while I was asleep. Why is that interesting? It's because... Martin Luther was just being faithful in what he was supposed to do. He was striving to be faithful in preaching the gospel. It was not while in the midst of him struggling and doing everything that he could do that God was at work. But the Spirit worked because of his faithfulness. He took the words that Martin Luther preached. And while Martin Luther was asleep, God did His work. The Spirit did work through Martin Luther's faithfulness. Do you have a situation in your life where you may be wondering, you know, what's, uh, how am I going to get through this? When is this person ever going to be saved? I've been praying for them. I've been, I've been sharing with them regularly. Or maybe we've been thinking here with the church, when are the numbers going to come? When are people, when are we going to grow numerically? And we need to remember, God has called us to be faithful. That in the midst of faithfulness, God works. It was not Martin Luther's cleverness or his wittiness. It wasn't his entertainment that brought about this great reformation that brought people back to God's Word. It was his faithfulness to God's Word. And if we as a church want to grow spiritually and numerically, it is going to be through faithfulness. It's not going to be through entertainment. We're not going to win people by entertaining people. Television entertains people. We need to bring people back to God's Word. I have a friend back in Louisville. His name's Joseph. And when I was in Louisville, I used to work next to him every single day, and we would talk on a regular basis. We'd joke around, we'd cut up. And every so often, I would continually try to bring the, uh, the conversation back to Christ. And we would slowly have conversations about Christ. He's an incredible friend. And then several years later, I was striving to be faithful in what God has called me to do. And several years later, um, he sends me a message to let me know that I was instrumental in him coming to the Lord and into his salvation. That we may not see what God is doing. We may not get to see the fruit of our labors. Ever so often we get the joy of seeing it. But God has called us to be faithful. And maybe ten years down the road we'll get to see 
the beauty of what God has been working out behind the scenes when we have been so blind to it. But here we see Ruth is just striving to be faithful. And she is just trying to take care of her mother. She is just trying to make food for them and care for them. She is being a good woman, a helpful woman, a loving woman. If we want to see God at work, it's not going to be through our means of entertainment. It's going to be through our faithfulness. So now back to the verse. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Why does it bring this up that she's going to the field after the reapers? Why is this important for us? In Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, and also 23, 22, it tells us this, that not only has God commanded people to, to be faithful in their work, here God has told them, He's given a command to the people of Israel that they're not to exhaust their crops. So when they're farming... If they were lucky enough to own a farm, they were not to use all of the crops, but they are leave to the borders. The borders of the crops are there to leave them. They are not to take food from them in case a poor person may come afterwards so that the poor person will have something to eat. And here we see Ruth is going, hoping to find food from a farmer who has been faithful to God's command. And she is blessed because of that. You ever wonder, people always say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and not a God of love. This is exactly the opposite of what the Old Testament teaches. When people say comments like this, they're completely ignorant of the Bible. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is always a God of love. And this is a beautiful section where we see God has commanded the people of Israel to leave food for those in need. He loves not only those who have a lot, but He loves those who have a little. Ruth maybe went in shame. She went from having a lot to nothing. And now she's coming to this field hoping to find food. And she meets a man named Boaz. The end of her story is not shame in her circumstances, but it's how God will work. And that's true of our lives as well. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, your shame and your circumstances, the things that you, you long to hide from everyone... Those are not your story. Your story is bigger than that. Your story is what God is doing through you and will do. You do not have the final word on your life story. God does. Now verse 4. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. This is, a, I think, very interesting that it starts off this way. So she's come to this land, and then this man named Boaz comes along, and he starts saying, the Lord bless you. And then they respond back, the Lord bless you. Ruth is without food and without a husband, and she has no heir whatsoever to her throne. She has no family lineage that's going to come from her. And she comes, and the Lord not only provides her food in this man's farmland, but also... She is now working and getting food from the land of someone who loves the Lord. So not only has He brought her food, He's also brought her around people who love the Lord. That is the God you serve. When you're in your time of your most need and your greatest need, not only does the Lord provide, He's going to surround you with people. And He challenges you to surround yourself with people who love the Lord. It also challenges us 
to work as believers. You cannot divorce your church life from your work life. We are called to represent Christ in our workplaces. And here Boaz is blessing the Lord in the midst of his work. This is a Christian work ethic. There is a way to work in such a way that you glorify God. Paul tells us, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of the Lord. Are you striving when you're at work to glorify God? Or do you just treat it as the job that you hate and dread? Do you have a case of the Mondays every day? Longing for the weekend where you get the free time? No. Treat your job as worship. Worship the Lord through the way you work. It doesn't mean that you're always sharing the gospel every moment you can. But you're reflecting Christ. You're taking opportunities to glorify Christ in your workplace. You look for opportunities to share the gospel, yes. But you show people what it looks like to be redeemed through your life. Now verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather sheaves after the reapers, just like it was commanded in Leviticus. So she came and she continued from early morning until now for a short rest. Then Boaz said to her, Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean from another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink the young or drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? There is protection. There is hope and provision and joy under the wings of the Lord. This woman has come and she has nothing to offer the Lord. She is coming without anything to Bethlehem in hopes of finding favor. She heard the Lord is working there and she went. And now the Lord has provided her with food, with protection, with joy, and with love. Reminds me of Isaiah 40. I'm going to read some verses from this. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read some verses just reminding us of the protection and the cover that we have in God. Behold, the Lord will come with might, His arms rolling for them. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock. In the arms, He will gather the lambs. See this tenderness here? In his arms he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The everlasting Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up on wings like evil, uh, wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Are you tired? Are you weary? 
Does your life have a lot of struggles in it? Are you struggling to find hope in the midst of whatever is going on in your life? Come and rest under the wings of the God who does not get tired and does not grow weary. Come find your comfort and rest. Just as Jesus says, all you are weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest. Rest in Christ. That no matter what is going on in the world, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what ISIS does to you, no matter if they behead you, you have your comfort and your stability in Christ. People cannot do anything to you when you are in the hands of the Lord. Paul was beaten nearly to death. And he says, I count these as momentary afflictions compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ my Lord. Slight momentary afflictions. That's what ISIS does to believers when they behead them. It's a small pain to go through compared to the comfort and joy and rest we find in Christ. There are countless stories throughout church history of believers who are getting ready to be burned to death because they refused to deny their faith in Christ. They're put gags on their face so that they won't share the gospel or sing hymns. And you can read, if you get Fox's Books of the Martyrs, or there's a book a couple years out, probably about ten years ago, that came out called Jesus Freaks. These men would have their mouths wrapped up so that they would stop preaching the gospel or so they would stop singing hymns. And then they would be surrounded with wood and set on fire. And these men would stick their faces in fire so they could burn the, the gag off of their mouth so that as they were dying, they could continually sing, How great is our God. People cannot do anything to you when you're in the hands of God. That it may look bad what's happening to you, but there is comfort and rest for all those who find the rest in Christ. Now verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law. So just ask, Ruth just asked, Boaz, why are you being so gracious to me? Before I, before I go on, I'm going to bring up another point I forgot to mention here. Is that when we see all these things that have happened to Ruth and everything that Boaz has done for her, she has come with nothing. She has come with nothing to offer. She has nothing to give. She has a blank checkbook. She is completely bankrupt. She comes to Boaz begging for food. And yet, what does the Lord do? He gives her overabundance. That's the gospel. We come, we come with, to the Lord with filthy rags. We have nothing to present to Him. All our works continually put us further in debt to Him. We come to the Lord and we try to do good things, yet we're using the strength that He has given us. So we come in debt. We come bankrupt. Yet the Lord is gracious. And He says, He loves and sends His Son out of love, while we were yet sinners, He sends His Son. That's a loving God. For the people who say that the God of the Old Testament is not loving, they do not know the God of the Old Testament. He is the one who sent His Son Christ to die for us. Now verse 11. 
But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz tells her, I've, I've heard everything. I've heard about your faithfulness. I've heard about your love and how you've, you've come to this field to help Naomi and how you have graciously, even when they told you to stay, you have graciously stayed or you have graciously gone with Naomi back to this land. You have taken upon yourself Yahweh, her God, our Lord. Boaz says, I've heard about these things. Men, if you're looking for a wife... If you, if you need, if you're wanting a wife, this is, this is an example. If we're looking for a spouse, this is one that we should look for. Boaz gives us an example. He's heard of the great things that she has done for the Lord. She has done these things. She has left her father and mother and has come and followed her. She has taken upon Yahweh. She's given up her whole life for the sake of Naomi and her Lord. Now let's go to verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, and you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in wine, so that... So she sat beside the reapers and passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. This sounds a lot like another story we've read before, or that you may have read before. When we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus is sharing the gospel with a great multitude, and they all start to be hungry, yet there is no food, and a child comes with two loaves of bread and five fish, and Jesus turns that into a multitude. And everyone eats until they're completely full. And there's bread left over. Why is this important for us? When you come to Christ, come to Him and be full. Come to Him, all you who are heavy laden, and find your rest there. You will be filled and overflowing in Christ. No one will be lacking in Christ. That's what we see here. Boaz gives us a small picture of what will soon be true of this man Jesus who will come and feed. And he says, I am the bread of life. Once you eat of Christ, you will never hunger or thirst again. Come eat of Christ. Verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean, glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And so, also, and so pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And when she took it and went back to the city, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she had brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked. And she said, The man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, Daughter-in-law, May the Lord, or may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi's life, if you remember back in chapter 1, she lost everything that she had. And she was going back to Bethlehem in hopes of finding food. And she was bitter at the Lord initially, but she heard the Lord was working there. And she was bitter, and she says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. It's literally what the name she says to call her. Because she is angry at the Lord. She sees her situation, and rather than responding in faith and trust in Yahweh, she becomes angry and shakes her fist at the Lord. How often do we do this in our lives? That when things go bad, we start blaming God. We ask to be like Jesus, but then we suffer. And then we get angry with the Lord. It's ironic that Jesus suffered. If you really want to be like Jesus, you will suffer. But now look how things have changed for Naomi. She was wanting to be called bitter because she was angry with the Lord. And now Ruth comes home and shows her everything that the Lord has given her. And Naomi starts making statements like, May the Lord, or may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Why is this important for us? Because it shows us that our lives... When people see God at work in our lives, when they see how God is changing our lives and how the Lord is doing things in our lives, it may cause an unbeliever to repent. Or it may cause a believer to repent. That your lives matter. The way that we live amongst those out in the world matters. It's not just who all comes here on Sunday mornings, but it's what we take from Sunday mornings out into the world. When people see our love, that in the midst of our suffering and trials, that we still love the Lord and we still worship the Lord in the midst of that, it causes them to say, I want what you have. I want to worship that God. I have bad things in my life, yet I want to find comfort and rest in this Lord. I want to find my comfort and rest in the God who provides doesn't mean the Lord is going to give you everything. This is not a prosperity gospel. It's not come to Jesus and you'll get whatever you need. No, it's come to Jesus and you get Jesus. That's all you need. Naomi repents because she sees what's going on in Ruth's life. And she says, may the Lord bless this man. Your lives matter. Then it says this, Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What's this phrase mean here? You've probably heard the phrase very popular, a kinsman redeemer. Very often in the Old Testament you'd have someone uh, who would die. Uh, a brother uh, would die of yours and then uh, you would take the responsibility of bringing his wife into your household and caring for her and passing along the uh, passing along the seed in hopes that the coming Messiah would come. 
and they got to be known as a redeemer. You redeem this woman who would then have nothing to bring. It wasn't before you had 401ks where you could uh, take care of your wife after you passed away. No, you had redeemers, family members who would take care of you. They were called redeemers. This is where we get a kinsman redeemer. Ruth comes to the table, like I've said, with nothing. And yet, she has a kinsman who then comes and protects her and redeems her and saves her and provides for her. That's the gospel, guys. We come to the table with nothing. There's nothing we can do. And yet, Christ comes He redeems us. He washes us clean just like the snow we see out there. We're as white as snow. He then protects us. He put His hands over us. He says no one can touch them. He gives us food. He says, come to me all you heavy laden. He gives us rest. Boaz is acting as a type of Christ to her. Now back to our passage. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, Hear my daughter in law, said to her, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter, that you not go out with young women, lest in another field you be, or you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Why does this passage end in this way? Remember how the passage begins? Very, very often in the Bible, um, you've got to remember they, they were a spoken culture, and it's an oratory culture, if you want to think of it that way, an oral culture, that... They didn't, they went, most people didn't have the ability to read, so when they, they would come to the temple and they would hear these stories read, so arguments would may, be made. You have different oral applications, ways. We didn't follow it point by point like an outline like we do. They didn't read the same way we did. So what they had was what was called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. And what that is is the way the author begins a section, he ends the section. And what he's trying to say is, this is what I'm going to prove. And then he proves it throughout the story. And at the end, he says, truly this is sure. And what's going on here is, so the beginning and the end are the same. Kind of like Matthew's gospel. Think of it that way. Matthew's gospel begins by saying he's the son of David and son of Abraham. And it ends by saying, "All Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Who has all authority? A king. Matthew is saying Jesus is truly the son of David. And then Matthew says, or Jesus says, go into all the nations. Well, what promise was given to Abraham? The nations are going to be blessed by you. So Matthew begins his letter by saying, he's going to be the son of David and the son of Abraham. He ends by saying, truly he was the son of David and the son of Abraham. Here we have the same thing. This chapter begins by saying, there's this man named Boaz who's one of our relatives. Then you hear the story of Boaz. And it's supposed to draw our ears Why is this man being brought up over and over again? Why is this man's story being told to us? We just heard that Ruth and Naomi have no hope. They have nothing to offer. And now we hear about this man named Boaz. Well, who is this man named Boaz? And we start to hear what he does. But then it ends this way. Naomi now has food. She now has abundance and protection. But if you remember back in chapter 1, 
She had no spouse, no one to pass the seed along to. And now the writer of Ruth ends this way, that Ruth is still at home living with her mother-in-law. It's as if he's trying to draw your attention that something's getting ready to come up. If you know the story, we know that Ruth and Boaz end up getting married. It's as if the writer wants you to hear that I hear the church bells in the distance. This is getting ready to take place. All the struggles Ruth had in chapter 1, God has answered. We have seen part of those, but keep your ears listening because we're almost there. You're about to hear the rest of the story. God has not left any of His promises unanswered. He is not going to leave any of these things undone. Why is this important? Remember last week I talked about that this story takes place in Bethlehem during the time of Judges. Well, back in Judges 21-25, we're told that there is no king in Israel during the time of Judges. Well, now we're in Bethlehem. The land of bread is literally what the word means. House of bread. Now we're in the house of bread with no king ruling over them. And Boaz and Ruth will get married. And there, and Boaz is going to be the great, or be, be the grandfather, sorry, of Israel's greatest king. They're in a land with no king. And 1 Samuel 16.1 tells us this, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I will provide for myself a king from amongst his sons. From David, Israel's greatest king, will come through Ruth and Boaz. But even more important than that, the Lord answers this question. The Lord resolves this problem that she doesn't have a spouse, no one to pass the seed along to. We were told back in Genesis 3.15 that from Eve will come a seed who will crush the head of the serpent and sin will be destroyed because of the seed of Eve. And they're constantly looking for this seed, this promised seed, this promised one who would come. And now Ruth and Boaz, we're going to learn, we'll have a child. And from them will come David, the greatest king. But even more significant than that, Matthew 2.1 tells us this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That this small town of Bethlehem, the story that we hear of Naomi and Ruth, and the problems that we hear, not only does God answer them, but from them comes the Messiah. This woman comes with nothing on her plate, and God redeems the entire world through her faithfulness. She has nothing to bring to the table. And yet from her will come the king of all kings. From her will come David. From her will come Jesus. Matthew 1 tells us that he is the son of Boaz and of Ruth. From this woman 
who has been faithful to the Lord will become our Messiah. Why is that important for us? Because we all come to the Lord with nothing. And we come to the house of bread and we meet Jesus. And we may look at our lives and be ashamed or not happy with the way things have gone. And we may think, I'm a small person. I haven't done much. Most people don't even know my name. If I passed away, there'd only be a handful of people at the funeral home. I'm no Billy Graham. Ruth is no Billy Graham either. Yet because she was faithful to the Lord, God saved the entire world through her lineage. You don't need to be a big name. You don't need your name to be on billboards. God has called us to be faithful. He has called us to come and worship. Come and eat at His table and be filled. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Pray that we see the hope in this passage. We see the comfort in this passage. Help us come to you during life's struggles when we can't find any hope, when we can't find any way to get over this trial. Let us come to you and find rest. Let us come to you and find joy. Let us come to you and worship as Ruth does. When we have nothing, when we feel like we've hit rock bottom, Let us run to you and worship. Why is it that you are so good to us? Why is it that we deserve nothing? You sin, Christ. We will never understand. But may we live lives of worship because of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.